0: accusations against brothers and sisters in christ kills steals and destroys unity in the church so if we are partakers of causing disunity we are playing into the hands of the enemy can you see that so when one of us accuses another whether it's to their face or behind their backs whether it's factual or non-factual we are literally doing the work of satan for him please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called One Gospel, One Church. This word one is more significant now more than ever And we're going to get into that today. Our message for today is one body. And we are going into Romans 12 today. Do we have slides? Are we awake? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) They're still worshiping back there, I think. They're in the presence. I understand. Um we're talking about one body, one body. And yeah, I'm excited about this word today. We're going to really see what God has for us. I'm not going to do a summary of where we're at because it's, gonna, 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 it's going to come up. I'm still under the influence. It's going to come up um, as we get into the message today. I want to start off today you know, I've, I've witnessed many people speak and minister the word of God, and, and there's always, or not always, but many times, there's this line where they say, if you remember one thing today, if you just walk away, remember this one thing, and then they speak for half an hour or 40 minutes, or, you know, like me, 50 minutes, and, and you're like, just remember this one thing. <laughs> and I think it's because we know people's attention spans are maybe not that great, or they only have the capability of remembering one big thing from the day. So if there is one thing that I would like for you to remember from today, it's that God's timing is perfect and that words matter. Words matter. God's timing is perfect and words matter. These are two truths that play a significant role in today's message. And this moment we are in right now as a church, it is very important. It's also significant because we have just come out of a corporate fast and we're about to celebrate our unity, our togetherness, and our calling as a part of the body of Christ. So I'll say it again, the timing of God is perfect and words matter. It was by faith and the leading of the Holy Spirit that we started this series on Romans. And it was definitely not my idea to tackle this very intricate book, one of the greatest pieces of biblical literature known to man, and to work through it from chapter 1 to chapter 16 in detail. It was not my plan. It was not my idea. I was like, God, can we talk about this? It is is a big thing. It's a big piece of steak. But I'm so glad we are doing it. Amen? Are you glad? And would you believe it, the very first session we started three months ago. We've been at this for three months. The message was called One Standard. It was about 12 Sundays ago. And I didn't know beforehand that we would be busy with chapter 12 on the exact day that we will be ending our long fast a week long fast and celebrating our unity with let's feast i didn't know that up front but god knew his timing is perfect because there was a time when i thought we were going to do one spirit in one session and it it wasn't we didn't have enough time we had to break it up in three sessions so just by the leading of the spirit and what was practically possible you know things were m- moving around and the series title one gospel one church in my mind, I was mainly thinking about the general church of Christ. That there's a that there's one gospel for the church of Jesus Christ globally. I was mainly thinking about that. But this week, as I was preparing and meditating on this word, it hit me. We, as Love Key, we are one church who have heard the one gospel. And most of us. I trust have responded positively to the gospel the truth of the gospel and that our lives have been changed for eternity and this one gospel is not only for the one church it calls us as the church to be one so the gospel is not just for the church it the message of the gospel is to be united it's to be one to be of one mind to serve one Lord To believe one true gospel together and to be single-minded about our mission to reach more and teach more. That is the gospel. Remember, Paul was writing to a divided church. In other words, a church that wasn't united. They weren't one. They weren't in agreement. They were having strife and issues, Jews and Gentiles but we can take that specific division that they had and we can apply it to churches today and to our church. What might be the thing that divides us and what has God called us to rather do in that circumstances? Since February, God has put the message of the importance of the unity of the church on my heart. Those of you who've been with us for a while might remember I preached a message called the sound of unity. That was back on the 5th of February. Shortly after that, we started working on a book called The Bait of Satan in our men group and women's group called Sons of God and Daughters of God. Now, as soon as we started talking about unity and as soon as we started talking about offense, which The Bait of Satan is about, to me it seemed like all hell broke loose. And we started to be attacked on those fronts, on unity and on offense. And it was very interesting to me that we had a lot of conversations where you know, people were offended by the fact that you might mention that they seem offended by something. And the word offense became offensive. The, word, the term bait of Satan became offensive. Walls came up, claws came out, And very interesting things happened. Satan has many names, many terms that describe him in the Word of God, and one of them is he's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12. He is the one who constantly, day and night, hurls accusations against those in the church of Jesus. According to the Bible, he has a mandate. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for his prey to devour. He, and he came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mandate. That's his plan. He's called the father of lies, so he lies the best. When people are deceived, they are deceived because they do not know they are deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you would no longer be deceived. Accusations against brothers and sisters in Christ kills, steals, and destroys unity in the church. So if we are partakers of causing disunity, we are playing into the hands of the enemy. Can you see that? So when one of us accuses another, whether it's to their face or behind their backs, even when it's whether it's factual or non-factual, we are literally doing the work of Satan for him. And since I did a sermon on unity and we worked through the bait of Satan, we have been hit with attacks on our unity. So God was preparing myself, my family, and our leadership and our church for this. Those of you who are new, sitting here today, going like, what the heck is going on in this church? (laughs) Like, whoa, this is heavy, this is somehow awkward. I'm not going to apologize because we're on a journey as a church. And I would rather be real about what's happening and what God wants. So you might be going, what have I stepped into? You have stepped into a church that is not even three years old. You have stepped into a church that wants to honor God and advance his kingdom in the Haldeberg. He has given us a vision, a vision and a mission. And the enemy is not happy. So he will use whoever he can to cause division because when there's division there's loss of vision and when there's loss of vision then there's less efficiency in the kingdom of God but don't worry don't fear because this is Jesus's church and he reigns and he rules and ultimately he's in control and I realized that the same way that I had to give each of my children to God first, I had to give this church to God first. And that's why I'm talking about his perfect timing. I didn't realize that we would be doing chapter 12 of Romans on 13 August 2023, three months ago. And chapter 12 is all about unity in the church. I also said that words matter. Why? Because, well, it's true. Words matter. But more specifically, there are three seemingly unimportant words in today's text that actually is very crucial for us to recognize and in order to grasp the significance of what Paul is teaching us in this chapter. So I want you to know that you are right now, in this moment, you're part of something super special that God has set up by his divine power. You are in God's timing. All right? I want you to know that. Do you feel special? Go like this. Yes. (laughs) Enjoy the moment. Soak it in and pay close attention to the words therefore and twice the word for. Like I said. They don't seem like much on their own, but hopefully you'll see where I'm going with it. Also, words are important because Jesus himself is called the Word. Did you know that? Jesus is the Word. John 1, many other places we see that he is the Word, and the Word is is the Word of God. And the Word of God, how many of you know it's quite a thick book, and it's thick because there are many words in the word. Big revelation, right? It's made up of many words which together give what the one gospel to the one church. And it's all about the one standard, His righteousness, which we can only get with one, one way, and that's by faith. And then we receive the the gift, which is Jesus. And then we receive the one baptism and then the one spirit. And then we can understand the suffering we need to partake in for us to receive the one glory, to access our one destiny, all while knowing that nothing can separate us from God's one love for the one seed of the promised, saved by the one salvation as part of the one election, His elect, His beloved. And today we'll see that we are supposed to do all of this as one body. I think that was a good summary of all the messages we've done so far. All right, we're going to start reading today from the end of chapter 11, which we did last week, so that we can understand the context of chapter 12 better. Now, once again, I I know I keep saying this, but we have to remember, he didn't write chapters and verses when he wrote a letter he wrote a letter you know right through there is a pause however at the end of chapter 11 he says amen it's like a praise prayer and then he says amen and then chapter 12 starts but it's still connected and I'm going to show you how so let us read together from the word of God Romans 11 from verse 33 Oh, the depth of the richest, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. In another translation, it says, how impossible is it for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become His counselor, or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to him, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Paul gives this wonderful praise offering to God, which sounds a lot like a psalm from David to me. I don't know about you, but it sounds a lot like a one of David's praise songs. Remember how we spoke about the sovereignty of God, and we saw how Paul instructs to consider both the severity and the goodness of God. We saw that last week. Do you remember that? We saw, he says, consider both the severity and the goodness of God. What, brings, what does that bring in? It brings in the fear of the Lord. Here Paul praises God for his, specifically for his wisdom and his knowledge, which are the two main things the Bible teaches us comes from holy fear of the Lord. He attributes wisdom and knowledge to God knowing that how we access that is through the fear of the Lord. And he just proclaimed how big and awesome our God is. God is the source of our knowledge and wisdom and we can only access it when we approach him with holy fear and we will only have holy fear toward him if we know how great and awesome and majestic he is. And Paul knows this. He has had the revelation because he has spent time with that one with the one because he had a Damascus road experience where he fell off his horse when Jesus appeared to him. He knows how great and awesome God is. Plus he spent hours and days just in the presence of God getting revelation and download. So he knows Do you know? Do you know what Paul knows? What stands between you knowing more? Time with God. Focused time with God. He says, no one can know the mind of God or counsel him. He is all-knowing. He is is important. Sorry, this is important as we read the first of the next chapter. No one can counsel him. And he ends with a great exaltation of God saying that all things are to him, all things that you see unseen and seen are to him. All things are through him and all things are for him. How powerful is that? We just need to stand in awe of that for a moment and go, wow. I want you to do a word study in your personal time. Go and search everywhere it says all things in the Bible. You will be blown away by what you find. So at the end of these verses, Paul has now established to a divided church, both Jew and Gentile, that they are part of God's elect. And that they will get there in different ways. Remember last week's message was one election. Remember that? So he has now told this divided church who this God is that they serve. So this and God's greatness is now Established okay, so Paul has now settled these matters up until this point, and now we start chapter 12. Are you with me? Following, all right. So now we go into chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, in another translation says, I appeal to you, brethren. He's speaking to all in the divided church using a collective noun, a word that unites them in how he's addressing them. Can you see that? I beseech you, it's a strong appeal, and he's saying brethren, brothers, other translations will now say brothers and sisters. He's speaking to the whole church. By the mercies of God, I beseech you for a reason, that you will present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Another translation says spiritual worship or true and proper worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, which is continuous tense. It's the process of sanctification. In order that, so that you may prove What is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Another translation says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Another one says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do we get it? Now, in this first part of chapter 12, he beseeches them. It is a strong appeal and he beseeches them, he appeals to them very strongly, his brothers in that church, to do two main things. The first is present your bodies, the carnal part of you, the physical part of you, your flesh, in a certain way, as a living sacrifice. Have you ever thought of that? What is a sacrifice, what happens at a sacrifice? What did they used to do in the the Old Testament and biblical times? Take an animal, kill it, and then burn it, right? Do you have that picture? Paul is saying to a divided church of people who he loves, and because he loves them, he's giving them the truth. He says, present, what does that mean? It means make a decision out of your own, to present your body, all of this as a living, so you stay alive, thank God, sacrifice. Wait a minute, how does that work? Do you, just imagine, don't imagine too deeply, but putting a live animal on a fire. What's gonna happen? Ah, it's gonna scream and you know, go crazy and burn. It's gonna be painful. But what happens when you choose willingly to present yourself. I will step onto the altar and give my all. What does the fire do? The holy fire of God. It burns away everything that's not of God. Everything that's selfish. Everything that was never supposed to be part of who you are. It burns away. Why? Why do we need to present ourselves this way? So you can be? Holy, holy. Why? Why should I be holy? It says because it's acceptable to God. So if holiness is acceptable to God, what is unacceptable to God? Not presenting your body as a living sacrifice so that you can be cleansed from sin and unrighteousness. It starts with a choice. So it's not acceptable to God to not present yourself because the process of holy making starts with the presenting of yourself, which is a choice. Amen. And hear these words. It's to die to self by choice. He says to do this, to present your body as a living sacrifice and to, so that you can be made holy. This is your Reasonable service. Other translations said true or proper worship. So to present myself before God as a holy sacrifice is reasonable, proper, and true. In other words, if I don't do it, I am being unreasonable, unproper, and false. I wish I had a pen right now. What is he saying? That our starting point for our praise and worship of God is dying to self. Because this is worship. This is true worship, is to die to self. It's true worship to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's true worship to say, I'm going to die to all the things that I think I need, I think I want, That's selfish desires. I'm going to die to all of that stuff. Worship is our love on display for God in a sacrificial way. It's not two fast songs and two slow songs, guys. It's a life given to God. And I say that to you as someone who leads the two fast songs and the two slow songs. Because that has a place, but it's not the point. We don't worship worship. We don't worship songs. We don't worship words on a screen. We worship God. And worship starts when you put yourself on the altar. You can never sing a song again, but live a life of worship. You with me? All right. Worship unto God should cost us something, it should cost us everything physical in our life, everything that's carnal, everything that's selfish, it should cost us that. It should kill anything unholy and out of line with his will inside of us. Do you agree? You could disagree, but then you'll disagree with the word of God. Good luck with that. The second thing that he beseeches, appeals to us to do is, to his readers, is To not be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And this, of course, applies to us as Christians as well. He was speaking to a church, but we are a church. We are those who follow, those who spread the gospel. So this message is for us as well. We need to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But did you notice there's a sequence He says, I beseech you to do this and then to do that. There's a sequence. Step one is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be made holy, which is acceptable, reasonable service to God. He says that first. And then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what is the point of the renewal? To actually know and understand, to have knowledge of the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You cannot successfully accomplish Paul's second instruction, which is to not be conformed to this world, if you didn't do the first instruction. Can you see that? You have to do step one. It's like building Lego. I have to follow the steps, otherwise, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Anyone build Lego ever before? All right. You've got to follow the numbers. There's some dads here, I know. When you, when you buy a bike or something for your kid that you have to assemble at Christmas, You don't follow the instructions. And then you finish, and then there's stuff lying on the ground. You're going, I don't know where that goes. Now, in the same way that you should have followed the instructions from the start, this is important. Read the instructions of the Word of God, of the Apostle of God, and be obedient. I need to first present my body as a living sacrifice. Some of us are going, I need to renew my mind. I need to renew my mind. And I'm stuck, and I'm in this cycle and I can't get out of it what's happening what's happening have you presented yourself as a living sacrifice to God which is your reasonable proper true service to him if not that is why you are struggling to renew your mind can you see that In order for us to be conformed to the world's ways, sorry, in order for us to not be conformed to the world's ways and to truly be transformed in our minds, to think like Christ, remember when you get born again, you have the mind of Christ, but it's a choice to access the mind of Christ. We need to first die to self and choose to worship God with all that we have. Only then can we think about not conforming and truly transforming And the second one has all to do with the mind, the way we think, the way we know and understand things. Now, remember in chapter 11, what I read to you about God's wisdom and his understanding. Remember how I mentioned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. And true knowledge and wisdom is to know the perfect will of the Father. Do you see that? Do you see how this comes together? Would you agree that the battlefield of today, and always has been, but especially today, is a battlefield of the mind? On top of daily temptations and lies from the enemy that we all face, we need to contend with a world where, where the world is shouting stuff that our lies are not in line with the word of God, and now we have people who call themselves Christians, who some of them are even well-meaning. They hear what the world is saying and they are conforming to what the world is saying. And now they want to bring that into the church and say, No, but you know, we paint this with the love brush and and this is, it's unloving to say these things and do these things that stand in the Word of God, that are written in the Word of God. What are they doing? They're trying to take the Word of God and edit it. That thing has been, like my wife said to me yesterday. This book is six thousand years old and it's proven to be true. Historically, archaeologically, on every level, it's proven it's true. And then someone comes with a philosophy that they made up that sounds impressive because it's different. And then we move the Bible aside and we go, Oh, this sounds nice and exciting and new. And Satan goes, Laka Another one. We live in a world, we're conforming to it, to the world. It means you deny God's original creation ordinances. What is God's original ordinances? We've got it on the wall there. Biblical order. He made us male and female. Punt, strep klar. He created them so that one man will marry one woman, and will procreate and multiply. That was his plan. You have to deny this. In the world we live in today, to conform with the world. You have to deny that. You have to say that's not true. And, and we have people, like I said, no, but it's unloving to say these things. No, it's not. If, if you really love someone and you know the truth and you can see they are deceived, is it really loving to not share the truth with them? Yes, in a loving way, but in a truthful way. If you see someone is heading for disaster, are you gonna just stand there and wave, I love you. How did that happen? I thought my love would save you. But that's what we're doing. That's exactly what's happening. Conforming to the world leads to death. That's why we need to be transformed. And it all begins and ends in your mind. It begins here, which is part of your soul, which is part of your, the, the, the thing that has to be presented as a living sacrifice. I have to sacrifice what I think. I have to sacrifice how I feel. I have to sacrifice what I see around me with all my five senses and say, Lord, no, what do you say? My spiritual sense is the most important. It has to be in line with the Holy Spirit. So now I can, I can discern. If someone says something, a philosophy or an ideology that sounds impressive and convincing and they say it with so much you know, energy and passion like it must be true because I don't have this much passion and energy for the word of God. Hashtag, Why not? Because you don't spend time enough with God. You don't get in love enough with God. You know, if I was in the world and I looked at some Christians, I love Jesus. Don't tell anyone. I'm a secret agent for the church. (laughs) Preach the gospel to all the world and if necessary, use words. How will you share the word without sharing the word? I know that's a famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi, but it's not the whole quote, and it's not biblical. Yes, your life has to be an example, but when someone goes, hey, why is your life the way it is? Is it now necessary? I don't know, maybe, yes. Can you share the gospel? You know, when, I, when I counsel some people or when we are in connect groups, I, I like asking questions that should be obvious to Christians. What's faith? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Explain grace to me. Um, why do you believe in Jesus? He died for like my sin And um, I love him. (laughs) Seriously? Now you expect to evangelize people that way. Why will they believe what you believe if you don't even know what you believe? Why? No, I really believe it. I feel him in my heart. Okay? Did you know that the Bible is a factual, accurate book? confirmed as actual and factual historically correct and true more than any other book in the history of mankind there's more proof physical physical proof that it's true there's more physical proof that jesus really died and really rose from the grave if if you, you don't have to feel it you have to believe it and then you have to act out of that belief. And you have to spend time in the Word of God and with God so that you understand why you believe what you believe. You won't evangelize someone with a feeling. You will evangelize them by speaking the truth of the Word of God. And you can keep it simple. Share your testimony. But as we mature, we need to actually mature and not stay stuck in one place. I love Jesus. Okay, why? He saved my life. Okay, that sounds interesting. How did that happen? We need to be able to explain these things. I, when I spend time with my boys, I, I, test, I test them. I say, I don't know the gospel. Share the gospel with me. And the first few times it's like, uh, uh, and then I coach them. Start here. Do this. Ask this question. Explain that to me. And then I'm going to ask difficult questions on purpose and then you go uh why because my kids need to be able to share the gospel with confidence we all need to be able to share the gospel with confidence I think some of my kids will be able to do it better than some of you we'll have a competition share the gospel and go All right. you have to sorry where am I now yeah, I'm not going to get into that topic anymore. The, there are many topics. It's not just the whole thing about marriage and gender. There's so many topics that the world wants to push us in a different direction than the Word of God says. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you just now what, what Paul is actually referring to when he says that. I think there's a broad application, but there's also a specific one. I'm going to get to that now. To not be conformed, but to be transformed would be to seek God's will for life on earth and then believe it and then live it and then stand for it. So he's saying that if you do these two things that I just said, present yourself as a holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable worship, and to not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you do these things, then you will be able to know the perfect word, will of God. In other words, if you don't do number one and two, you won't know the will of God. Can you see that? Anyone? Can you? Okay. Good. Just checking if you're alive. I'm going to make you pinch one another so you know there's life. Paul has now set the stage, all right? He set the stage for something. He instructs the church to do these things on the back of saying how magnificent God is, but he's not done. And now he gives us the next layer of why. All right? So he set up God as magnificent and amazing, and he says, I beseech you, therefore. In other words, know that this is who God is. Now, because this is who God is, therefore, I beseech you to make yourselves living sacrifices and to renew your mind. Are you with me? Now, he goes to the next layer, because the next sentence starts with the other important word I mentioned earlier. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, the whole church, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For is an important word. Because words are important. Don't miss it. It will help you if you replace it with the word because. So let's read it that way. Because I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For and because are interchangeable and will help you to understand this. He Now he's just told them to renew their minds. What happens in here? Hopefully, you think. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I have this joke with my wife that when she says, I've been thinking, and she pauses, I go, How was that? (laughs) And then she goes, Shush man, I want to share something with you. (laughs) Don't make don't give a pause after I was thinking. What was that like? (laughs) He just yeah, did it hurt? He just told them to renew their minds. And now he says, Because I'm saying to all of you, you need to think of yourself, you don't don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. So he says, renew your mind, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For I do not want you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. What's he saying? Conforming to the world's way of thinking is to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Transforming is to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And he says to everyone in the church, I'm talking to you and you and you, everyone. Do not think of yourself more (laughs) highly. I can see Paul like doing this. Not, he's writing a letter, but I can kind of imagine it. Now, straight off, he says, renew your mind. He speaks about changing the way you think about yourself. In terms of what? Pride. Pride and humility. Isn't that interesting? The main thing that he is focusing on when he's speaking about renewing your mind by not being conformed to this world's way, but be transformed, is about how you see yourself in the context of, of the church. In other words, compared to other people in the church. That is the direct context of this verse. Are you following me? I do believe that, like I said, the application can apply to other things. Do not be conformed to the way the world thinks. I do believe it can be applied that way. But we have to take a moment and just realize He is specifically talking about the way you think about yourself within the context of the local church. So he's speaking to the Gentile that thinks this Jew is legalism, is full of legalism. I don't want to eat what he eats and not eat what he doesn't eat, and I don't want to celebrate that day. What does he know? He's, you know, not free. The Jew looks at the Gentile and goes, oh my word, these people are crazy. They have lost it. They have taken freedom and like just they're doing what they want to do. They're not celebrating the right days. They're not getting circumcised. What what's going on here? You said you said this. Did you see that one do that? That's happening in this church. Why else would he write this to them? I do. um, We should not think more highly than we ought to. So we should think well of ourselves. This doesn't say think less of yourself. He says do not think more highly than you ought to. So there's a level of ought that you should think of yourself. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I have the mind of Christ. I've been born again. I'm the head and not the tail. I know who I am because I know whose I am. That's healthy Christian thinking. I know my identity in Christ. But do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Are you with me? So, the measuring stick that he said is to think soberly according to the measure of faith God has given each of us. That's just the previous verse. The measuring stick is to think soberly. No, sorry, that's part of this. Sorry, it's the next part. He says, think soberly. What is the opposite of being sober? Being drunk. So do not think like this? Get it wrong. <laughs> My wife says I do it too well. <laughs> I have some acting experience. I'm going to do that. Anyway. But you can't, th- what is he saying? If you are thinking the way the world thinks, you are not thinking soberly. Because the world thinks in the terms of spiritual drunkenness. They are intoxicated by the devil's way of thinking. All right, so we we should wake up from that stupor and go, no, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to my God, which is my reasonable service, and as i'm dying to self my mind is going to be renewed daily to not think like the world but to think like jesus and in that process i'm going to recognize certain ways of thinking and i'm going to go that's not right and now i can discern i can think soberly and discern that's not god and this is god because i'm in communion with god can you see it it's so beautiful I'm excited about it. I love it. Can you see how renewing of your mind starts with how we think of ourselves? Renewing your mind starts with, how do I see myself? Do I have a healthy view of myself? A healthy view of, yes, I'm born again, I'm saved, I'm a child of God, all that stuff. But when I look at my brother, sister in Christ, how do I look at them? Do I consciously elevate myself above them thinking i'm better than i have more than i can offer more than and then i go well they shouldn't be doing that or they shouldn't be saying that or how could they be the ones that are asked to do that because i because me because this is when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and this is when division starts Division comes in when I think of myself more highly. I'm a Jew. I know the Torah. These Gentiles don't know what they're talking about. How can they put out pork? What are they thinking? And the Gentiles, the same thing. Well, we've been set free. We don't have to get circumcised. We've got the better covenant. <laughs> can you see that? That is an example. It's a cautionary tale for us as a church. What is our Jews and Gentiles division? What is it? Each of you that have been saved before and been in a church come from a different church culture. Things were done a certain way. You come into this place where God said he's doing a new thing. You look at how things happen and you go, I don't like this. This is not how my pastor used to do it. And there it starts. And Satan has gone, whoop. Take offense. Yes. Now, go tell someone else how offended you are. And then you can have an offensive party. So much fun. Did you see? Did you see? Did you hear? Did you do? And then it spreads like a cancer. And it kills unity. And it kills vision because it goes The vision now. There's one vision going in the undercurrent of the church, and people are being taken away with it. And the vision gets distracted. This is not the will of God. Paul is writing this to the Romans, but he's writing it as a as a concern to all churches ever, because what is one of the biggest battles that every church in the modern day fights? Its church splits. It's division. It's fighting over little things. I remember when I was a kid, I heard of churches who split because we only sing psalms. I'm going to start my own church because we have to wear ties. You don't wear ties. I'm going to start our own church. I, I was in meetings as a student. Meetings at the student church where we had fights about whether we should continue with the organ or have drums. And then someone had a a small manifestation, let's call it that, about the idea of putting a drum set in the liturgical space. It's like, no, that's evil. It's not from God. I'm like, it's just a drum. Have you read the Bible? They talk about hitting drums for Jesus clanging cymbals for Jesus, no, 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 this is the liturgical space, you know, and we had fights about that, like souls are getting lost, students are getting drunk right now, and we're fighting about this, really, how happy must Satan be to get the Christians to fight about the little things, Yes, okay, let me lead some people astray, no, don't go to church, this church is divided, They don't know who Jesus is. Don't go there. This is how the enemy works, guys. Are we going to fall for it? Are we going to be deceived? Or are we going to be part of the solution? Now, now that Paul has established another layer of how this works, he gives us another important word again. But it's the same word, for. In other words, because. And again, To present yourself a living sacrifice to die to self, why? Because you should not think more highly of yourself, rather think soberly, keeping in mind the measure of faith God has given you, why should I do all these things, okay? He beseeches you to do these things, then he tells you what to do um, in terms of thinking about yourself and others. Are you with me now? You've got these. Now he says, for, again, so why do we need to all do all these things? For we have many members in, everybody says, one body. One body. But all the members do not have the same functions. Function. So we, being many, are, everybody say, one body in Christ. That that is what we are. We are one body. That's what we are. And we have a place, a position. It's in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. Yeah. He says that we need to die to self as our ultimate act of worship to God so that we can renew our minds because we need to think of ourselves soberly in line with what God has given us because we are part of a greater whole, the body of Christ made up of different bodies, each with its own function. Can you see how beautifully Paul has put this together? How he has systematically told us how we should live our lives as Christians so that this is possible. What is he saying in between the lines? You cannot do this, live in unity as a body of Christ, if you didn't do the first few things he said. You will struggle. You will try to do it out of your flesh. You will fail. You will get irritated with yourself. You will end up taking offense even with yourself. I can't do this. I know that feeling. I know what it feels like when I want to try and be a Christian out of my own strength. Here's a to-do list. If you don't do this, you fail. I failed many times. I've shared this with you before. There was a time in my Christian walk where I wanted to quit Christianity. I can't live up to this. I'm a useless Christian. I wanted to quit I know what this feels like. But I didn't have the revelation yet of what Paul is writing here in Romans 12. It starts with surrender. A choice to really surrender. And you can only really surrender if you really trust, if you really love, if you really understand what he did for you. Otherwise, you will just kind of cautiously test it out. And the first sign of trouble, you're going to go, whoa, no, Christianity doesn't work for me. It's because of a lack of understanding, right? We are the body and we have a position, as I said before. Here, once again, I think of Jesus' as. Passionate prayer to the Father for His disciples and those to follow Him in John 17. In John 17, Jesus prays in front of His disciples to the Father, and He says, Father, let them and those to come be one, as in the same way that you and I are one. Just try. You can't, but try to imagine the unity, the intimacy, the communion between the Son and the Father. Just Try. He says, I want that unity for my church, for my disciples. I want that. Lord, God, he asks it like five times in that prayer. And twice after saying, let them be one as you and I are one, he says, so that the world will know that you sent me. Twice. Why? Because our greatest Way of getting people in the kingdom is to be united around what we believe and who we are. If you think of yourself more highly than you ought to and you're part of causing division, someone from the outside is going to look at that and go, I don't want to be part of that. That's a mess. But if they see something supernatural, he says, do not be conformed to this world where people do think more highly of themselves and they are divided and they are individualistic. Do not be like that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Now the world looks at a bunch of people who do not think of themselves more highly than they ought to, but they recognize in you there's a gift, there's a function that I don't have. I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to love you for it. I'm going to get excited about what God is doing in your life. I'm not going to get prideful. I'm not going to get you know, um, jealous because it's impossible to get jealous when I know exactly who I am and I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to think. Now the world looks at that and goes, whoa, that's, how does that even work? This Jesus must be real. Can you see it? This is huge. This can change the whole of the Helderberg if we all get on board with what the Bible teaches. It will change everything. Then he goes on. From this thought now, he says, therefore, he said for and he said for again. Now he goes into more detail of what he had just taught us. He saw he just talked about the gifts. Now he gets into that. He says, having then gifts differing, they're not the same, according to the grace that is given to us. God decides who gets what and who does what, not you. God decides. Let us use them. If you have a gift, use it. Don't neglect it. Don't leave it aside. Don't not do it because you're offended or because you think, "Oh, it's not as important. You know, if my gift doesn't get me on the stage, I'm not going to do it. What are you doing? Thinking of yourself more? Highly than you ought to think. I want you to know, standing here is not more important than being at the back, helping and serving, and doing all these other things. It's all part of one big goal, which is to get souls in heaven and Christians to mature. It's all part of it. In fact, if Jesus was here, and his example was to wash feet, which is the most menial job to do in the day, he would probably be cleaning the toilets. That's what Jesus would be doing. Whatever you think is the least job in this church, Jesus will be doing it. Just let that sink in for a moment. No, but you know, I've been here longer than the others. Why? Why are they there and I'm here? I mean, I come to church once a month at least. Jesus help us. (sighs) Listen to this. What God has given us, it's awesome. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. Now here's the gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now he, he's now taking and showing us all the spiritual gifts. He's linking it to what he said earlier, the measure of faith that God has given each one. In perspective, this is part of why we all differ and why we have different functions and why we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Because when you do that, you miss your role. You miss what God has given you. Or you look at what God has given you and you go, Yeah, I don't like that. What are you doing? You're complaining towards God. You are rebellious. God, can I get a better gift, please? Maybe he will do that. But if your first knee jerk is like, you know, sometimes we put food in front of our children. They go, oh. I'm like, I just worked so long to put, I mean, I worked for two hours so that you can eat it in three minutes. It just breaks my brain. But, and, and the reaction I get is like, eh. Can you imagine what God feels like if he's given you a gift and you look at that gift and go, ah, that one looks nicer, Lord. I'm like, I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. I'd rather have that. I'm comparing myself to someone else and their gift, and I think mine is worth less. How do you think God feels when we do that? I'm asking. I'm not manipulating. I'm asking. It's a real good question. This is part of why we all differ and why we have different functions and why we should not think more highly of ourselves. Because if we get this, we will value and appreciate every brother and sister next to us. And we will believe that they have something special and different from us to offer in the church. Now he's he's given us those gifts and we, I mean, we have done the, the study of the gifts in, in 1 Corinthians, we've done that before, and you can link it to this, and there's more gifts. Uh, Ephesians 4 also gives us the fivefold ministry, who, which are gifts to the body of Christ for the, for, the, um, for the saints, for the work of ministry, and it speaks there also of how important it is for each joint to supply what they supply. It all links up, all these gifts as part of that. And now... At the end of this chapter, Paul gives an amazing list of command. Amazing list of commands for the church. Each one so important to know and to do, and for us to, as a new church plant, each of these points are crucial. They're very important. I want you to write these down and make them part of your daily confessions and live them out passionately without compromise. Are you ready to do that? Let's read it together. This is the last list of things in chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from Paul, an apostle, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church. Let love be without hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? It's when you are two-faced. You say one thing, but you mean another. Let your love be Pure, in other words. Abhor what is evil. What does that mean? Hate what is evil. Hate sin. Hate what God hates. That is what you do when you are a believer. This is part of not being the same as the world. This is part of being transformed by, re- by renewing your mind. I will hate what God hates. And the opposite of that is to cling to what is good. Cling. Have you ever seen my daughter run up to me and cling to my legs? This is what we should do with goodness, with the opposite of evil. We need to cling to everything that's good of God. And that needs to be part of who we are. I don't want to let go of that. Then he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference, giving preference to one another, which we can only do if we do not think more highly of ourselves not lagging in diligence, in other words, I'm not gonna be lazy in loving you, I'm gonna be proactive in loving you. I'm gonna choose to love you, fervent in spirit. There's passion, there's some excitement about loving you. I'm excited about you because you have been given a gift for the body of Christ. Man, that's cool. Let me help you call it out of you and see you flourish in church. Woohoo! fervency, serving the Lord. I do this because I'm serving God. The way I love you is my service to God. The way I encourage you is my service to God. I rejoice in hope. I'm patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. That's us helping each other. That's our, um, our Acts 2 fund, given to hospitality, receiving one another in love and being hospitable. Next up, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He's speaking to a church. Could it be that he knew that some of them were persecuting one another? I'm sure this principle does apply to persecution from the outside, but he's writing everything up until this point specifically to the church who's divided. Bless those who persecute you is it possible to be persecuted within a church bless and do not curse so how do i respond to being persecuted being accused falsely i bless in jesus name i pray for you i bless you i choose to love rejoice with those who rejoice if someone is happy because they've achieved something or they are growing and maturing in something rejoice with them don't get jealous Oh, okay, you got the position, oh, okay. Rejoice with them. Yes, that's awesome. Wow, it's a sign of Christian maturity. And weep with those who weep. Let your heart break for those whose hearts are broken. Let your heart break for what break God's heart. And let's be there for one another. If someone is sad and they're going through a tough thing, stand with them, weep with them. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. This is Jesus showing us this with his life. When we start getting into ideologies and philosophies and stuff that is not that important, when we are spending time and energy on stuff that is not contributing to building the body of Christ, but taking it down, we are busy with high things. We need to associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. The beginning of the fear of the, uh, the, word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. But the wisdom that comes from my own opinion is useless. It only brings division. Repay no one evil for evil. Two wrongs don't make a right. If someone hurts you, you don't hurt them back. You love, you bless, you pray. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. He is quoting Jesus from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Once again, can you see that he's speaking to a church? It's possible that he knew inside this church there are people who have been hurt by the church who want to avenge themselves, he's saying, don't do that. God will sort it out. Have patience with God. You keep on loving. You keep on. And the only way we can love this way, did you notice the only way we can love this way is by presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is our reasonable service to him, focusing on him so that his love can flow through us, so that his strength can give us the strength to love a brother who is completely different from us with a different set of gifts. And I can look at that brother and go, I love you. Let's do this together. Let's change the Helderberg for Jesus. Let's change the world for Jesus. We can do it together. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? thank you so much for listening to the love key church podcast message of the week i trust that you had a life-changing encounter with god that will help you to align with his purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life and may you be inspired to share this with others have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person may god bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones